Yeah, well. Hey, you guys excited about God? Are you, are you excited about Jesus Christ? All right, well, I've got something to inspire you and encourage you tonight. Okay, this is fresh revelation. God just spoke to me about this this week. So uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy good quality things? You like good quality things. How about cars? When you think about cars, you think about, you know, I think about BMW. I think about Mercedes. You know, you think about that. Forget your budget for a minute. I'm just playing with your mind, okay? So uh, uh, just get a little bit wild here, okay? Yeah? All right. Now, what about clothes? What sort of labels of clothes do you guys enjoy? Class, I mean. Eh? Oh, come on. Well, I can't hear you, but I, I'm into diesel. I like diesel clothes. Billabong, diesel, I like that sort of gear, okay? What about, uh, uh, what about perfume? You girls will be onto it with this perfume. Yeah? French perfumes, Lenny? Yeah, absolutely. You think of uh, some of the great perfumes uh, put out by Estee Lauder or... Uh, uh, Yves Saint Laurent or, or any of those others, you think, wow, great. Now, what about watches? Watches, okay, when you think watches. Rolex, Cartier, Omega. We see, I myself, I like Bretling. Okay, now, some of you never even heard of it, but right here, I have a Bretling watch. Okay, now, Bretling, it has Bretling on the dial. It has, uh, this is a genuine, Bretling is a genuine Swiss watch, okay, Swiss watch. This, you don't get this sort of thing from Michael Hill, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it has Bretling on the, on the dial, it has a special Bretling second hand, it has a Bretling monogram on the, on the strap there, and on the back it has a genuine Bretling seal on the, on the back of the crown, Eh? Now, if this is the real thing, it is a very expensive watch, okay? If, it is a real exp- if it's a real thing, it's a very expensive watch. You don't buy this anywhere, okay? But, uh, uh, but uh, you know what? 99% of these watches that are sold are copies, and you wouldn't know the difference. The only way you would know the difference is that if you took it into the jeweler and they took the back off it, And they had a look inside. Because let me tell you, it doesn't matter what the label is. It matters what's on the inside. So come on. You tell the person next to you what's on the inside that counts. You see, if this is the real thing, if this is the real thing, it was put together in Switzerland by a Swiss watchmaker Carrying 120, uh, sorry, uh, over 120 years of tradition, put together by a special jeweler who is part engineer and part artist. But if it's a copy, it contains the same mechanism that's inside nearly every other watch that's in this room. A copy is cheap, common, ordinary, boring. Uh, the genuine thing is valuable, it's rare, and it's exceptional. Everyone say exceptional. Okay, now as cool and as rare and as genuine as a Bretland watch may be, it's just a thing. It's just a thing. It's totally insignificant compared to your life. 
Your life is infinitely more valuable, infinitely more rare, and designed to be exceptional. You are so valuable that Jesus Christ paid for you with his very own life and blood. Now, no one ever paid, willingly paid that much for a thing. But Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and paid, paid for you with his own blood. You are valuable. From the time Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, God has looked for a people, a special people, who would be exceptional and who would represent him on the earth. In Exodus 19 and verse 5, it speaks of this. It says, now therefore, if you, this is God speaking to his people. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be my special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine. God calls the people he chose his special treasure. This word here in Hebrew is segula. It is only used when it's talking about a king's treasure. It's not used to represent anything else, anything common, anything cheap. It is the king's treasure. And in the eight times it's used in the Old Testament, it's used six of those times representing God's people, his special treasure. You are God's special treasure. Tell the person next to you, you are God's treasure. You are rare. There's no one else here like you. No one like you. No one else has your fingerprints. No one has your fingerprints. They're completely uniquely you, yours. Okay? Your eyes. Did you know this? No one else has exactly the same pattern eyes as you. Take a good look at the person next to you. Look deep into their eyes. The color, the pattern, not too long, okay? You see, your eyes are uniquely you. We can send Anna over to Pakistan, dress her in a burqa from head to toe, so only her eyes are showing, and we still know it's Anna. We know it because no one else has Anna's eyes. Your DNA, the code that makes you uniquely you. No one else has that. You're not just one in a million. You're one in five billion. You are completely unique, completely rare. There is no one else like you. So let me ask you this question tonight. If we are valuable, if we are rare, if we are purposed by God to live exceptional lives, why do so many people live cheap, boring, ordinary lives? Why do they do it? Why do they do it? Do you know why? Because it's not what the label says. It's what the inside, what's on the inside counts. Just like the watch. It's not what the label says. It's what the inside, what's on the inside. That's what really counts. So tonight, we're going to look at the life of a man who was completely exceptional. Completely exceptional. He wasn't boring. He wasn't ordinary and he didn't live a cheap life at all. This man was outstanding. We're going to look at the life of Josiah. Now, more than what Josiah did, we're going to look at the qualities of his life that made him so exceptional. And there's five qualities in his life 
that made this man exceptional. Now, just to set the scene on this a wee bit, we're going to look at 2 Kings. Now, the First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles tells a spiritual tells a history of uh, Israel and Judah, but from a spiritual and prophetic perspective, it records their history, the history of the kings and the kingdoms. And in Second Kings, this is a great one to actually have a look at, just to set the scene here. Second Kings seventeen and verse thirteen to fifteen. This is God speaking about his people. And actually, I'm going to start in verse 14 here. Do you have your Bible with you tonight? Can you read it in the dark? Good. Glad to see that you eat your veggies, eh? (laughs) Okay. In verse 14, it begins. It says, God's saying about the Israelites. He's saying the Israelites would not listen. They were as stubborn as their ancestors who'd refused to believe in the Lord their God. They rejected his decrees. And the covenant he had made with the ancestors, and they despised all his warnings. They worshipped worthless idols, so they became worthless themselves. Oh, my word. Tell the person next to you, oh, my word. They followed the example of nations around them, disobeying the Lord's command not to imitate them. Isn't this tragic? These were people who were born and destined for exceptional lives. But they lived as copies. They imitated the nations around them. And they became worthless. Purposed in the heart of God to be a special treasure Something went wrong. What went wrong? You can learn from this. First of all, they were stubborn, it says. They refused to believe God. They rejected the Lord and His ways. And instead, they let their lives focus on worthless things. And because their focus was on worthless things, they became worthless. You see, what your eyes focus on will determine the value of your life. Pastor Mike spoke about the power of imagination this morning and how powerful imagination is our imagination. Our imagination is powerful. Whatever we focus on will determine the value of our lives. So instead of taking the lead, these people focused on worthless things and instead of being an example for others to follow, they followed and imitated the bad example of others. That there is a tragedy. Now you and I, we are made to be exceptional people. Made to be lives that would stand out to others. Made to be lives that others would look to and say, I want whatever they've got. I want whatever they've got. I want you to turn over in your Bible to 2 Kings now, chapter 23. So it was into this, into this environment that Josiah came. 2 Kings chapter 23 and verse 25. I love this. It says in verse 25, have you found it in your Bible? Yeah, if you haven't got a Bible, smile nicely at the person next to you. 
and ask if you can borrow theirs. <laughs> it says, now before him, this is Josiah is talking about. Now before him, there was no king like him who turned to the Lord with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his might, according to the law of Moses, nor after him did any arise like him. No one like him either before or after people. What is that? That's an exceptional life. I don't know about you, but I would love someone to say that about my life. I would love the people around me to say, he wasn't like anyone else. He wasn't like anyone else. And more than that, I would love God to say that of me. The affirmation that God placed on this man's life, I want for that for myself. You know what? In the heart of every one of us, there beats that same, that same desire that we would live exceptional lives. So let's find out what it was. What was it about Josiah? What were the qualities in his life that made his life exceptional? Because if we can find that out, then we can build those into our own lives. And we too can live up to our potential in Jesus Christ. Turn over in your Bible now to 2 Chronicles chapter 34. 2 Chronicles chapter 34 and 35 tells the life of, of uh, Josiah and it's a, it's a good story to read. Beginning in verse 1 it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became a king. Eight years old when he became a king. Can you imagine the weight of that? The weight of that he took on. The rulership of a nation at eight years old. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left hand. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, say still young. While he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images and the carved images and the molded images. He cleansed Jerusalem of the worthless things. The first quality we need for an exceptional life is a hunger for God. A hunger for God. It says that while Josiah was still young, he sought God. He sought God. You're never too young to begin to get serious with God. Let me tell you, you're never too old either. But I tell you what, you can do a whole lot more with your life if you turn to seek Him while you're still young. What does it mean to seek God? What does it mean? Seeking God is about prayer. Seeking God is about worship. Seeking God is literally to hang out with God to hang out with God, to enjoy His presence. Seeking God is about going to God with an expectation. It's not going to God with, well, maybe, 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 maybe not, maybe. I don't know. I'll spend some time because it's, uh, it's what's expected of me. No, it's going to God with an expectation, an expectation that God would move. He went to God for something. And with an attitude to receive something. Some people think that it's wrong to approach God with that attitude. But that is not biblical. It is biblical to approach God with the expectation that you would receive from Him. Because that is faith. 
Seeking God is about faith. And in Hebrews eleven six, it says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Hunger for God is faith. And faith pleases God. Faith pleases God. What is the hunger that drives your life tonight? What are you hungry for? You see, God promises those who pursue Him with a hunger in their heart, He promises to reward them. But let me ask you tonight, what is the hunger that drives your life? You see, some people are hungry for McDonald's. That's the greatest hunger in their life is McDonald's. Some people are hungry for power. All they want is power. Some people are hungry for attention from people. They just want their back stroked. And would you notice me, please? Some people are hungry for the approval of others. What's the hunger that drives your life? You see, you'll know it by where the focus of your attention is. You'll know it by where your money goes. You will know it by where your time goes. You'll know it by where your thoughts and imagination go. What's the hunger that drives your life? You see, Josiah had a hunger for God, and that made him exceptional in the sight of God. Do you want a hunger for God in your life? Come on, do you want a hunger for God in your life? Do you have a hunger for God in your life? Let it start tonight. Let it start tonight. Let it start. You see, the account of Josiah's life follows him as he clears all the idols out of the land and restores the temple of God. And while they're restoring the temple, they find a copy of the word of God. And one of the king's servants reads the word of God to him. Now, Josiah could have said, Come on, that is so yesterday. That is so yesterday. I'm not interested. He could have said to his servant, you're reading me from the law? Please do me a favor. No, he didn't. He said, I want to hear what God's got to say. I want to hear what God's got to say. Josiah positioned himself to hear the word of God. How have you positioned yourself? Have you positioned yourself to hear from the word of God? And it says that when Josiah heard the word of God, he tore his clothes and he wept because he realized how far his nation was from God. He realized how far people were from God. And he realized that how much trouble they were in. He ripped his clothes as a sign of grief. And he sent out immediately to find out, God, how much trouble are we in? Just how much trouble? Because if I'm reading correctly, we're awaiting judgment, and it's only a matter of time. I think it's awesome, the response that God makes, because this gives us the next two keys, next two qualities of an exceptional life. Listen to God's response in Second Chronicles chapter 34 and verse 27. You can follow along there if you like. I'll read it to you. This is God speaking to Josiah, and he says, Because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before God, 
when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me, you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, says the Lord. I have heard you, says the Lord. This gives us the next two character qualities of an exceptional life. A soft heart and humility. A soft heart and humility. See, when the Bible speaks of your heart, it's not speaking of the physical organ in your body that pumps blood around your, your, your body. It's not talking about that thing in your chest that skips a beat when it sees someone attractive. It's not talking about that. It's talking about your inner man. Some of you laugh too loud with that. I know you know what I'm saying, eh? (laughs) It's your inner man. It's your mind. It's your emotions. It's your thoughts. It's your desires. It's a part within you that connects with God and is designed by God to receive from him. And God said, you, you, Josiah, you've got a tender heart. You've got a soft heart. A soft heart positions you to hear from God. I mean, really hear, not just listen to words, but hear them and know, oh my word, I have got to take action on them. A soft heart is not about being a wuss or about being a sook. It means someone who is open and responsive to the word of God. It means someone who has a tender conscience. It means they're quick to recognize where they've gone wrong and seek God for forgiveness. You think of King David. Now, King David, you think about his life. Actually, his life was full of mistakes. He committed adultery. He murdered. He lied. He managed his family badly. But you know what God says of David? You know what it says? He says, I found David. I found David, the son of Jesse. He's a man after my own heart who will do all my will. So God, what's with that? What's with that? Why would you say that about such a man? You see, the incredible thing about David was he had a soft heart. He had a soft heart whenever God spoke to him, whenever God put his finger on his life. David was quick to repent. He was quick to deal with it. We also, we need to have that kind of heart. You see, an exceptional life is not about having a mistake-free life. It's about having a life that is open and responsive to God. Making mistakes doesn't count you out from having an exceptional life. But having a hard heart, that does. That does. David had a soft heart, and that made him a great leader. Josiah had a soft heart, and that made him like someone that was never before him and never after him. He had a soft heart. See, soft heart is opposite to being hard-hearted or stubborn. In Proverbs 28 and verse 14, it says, Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. It's about a soft heart. But whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Hardness of heart is also known as stubbornness. If you remember right back when I described the nation of Israel, or what, how God had described them, stubbornness was their first characteristic. You don't want stubbornness in your life. When I meet someone who's stubborn, I almost wince because I know that they are in for a hard time. I, I know it. I can guarantee it. I've seen it enough times. Uh, no, you'd be able to ask Pastor Mike, who's had 
a whole lot more years of seeing people getting beating themselves up because of the hardness and stubbornness of their heart. You think, why don't you just listen to God and turn? You would save yourself countless pain. Absolutely. You see, your heart, now this is the amazing thing, is that your heart, the condition of your heart, is dependent on your response to the Word of God. When you choose to obey the Word of God, when you choose to listen and do what He says, your heart softens and becomes soft and pliable before God. But when you choose to ignore Him, when you choose to get hard, uh, when you choose to, to, uh, uh, to resist His Word, your heart becomes harder and harder and harder. And let me tell you, you're in for tough times. You see, a character quality you absolutely need to live an exceptional life is a soft heart. The next characteristics, the next character is humility. Humility. God said that Josiah was humble. Humility is an attitude of respect towards God and other people. It's a freedom from arrogance. It's a heart that recognizes, humility is an attitude that recognizes that other people are just as messed up as you are and needing the grace of God. You see, we're quick to extend grace to ourselves, but often merciless in our, in our assessment of other people. Humility says, actually, that person is just as messed up as I am, and they need some love, they need some affirmation, they need some encouragement, they need some words of direction. But it doesn't say, I've got it all together, you haven't, you are wrong. I'm better than you. That is arrogance. Humility is completely the other attitude. God likes it when we stop pointing at others and start taking responsibility for ourselves. A humble person will take responsibility for their part in the mess they've found found themselves in. See, one of the characteristics of a person who has pride and arrogance is that they will fault find in others. They will look for fault. Do you fault find with people? Do you look for the weaknesses in others? See, even God doesn't do that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 to 6, we find that humility releases incredible favor in your life. Incredible favor in your life. It says, younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you, all of you, all of you, be submissive to one another. Be clothed in humility, for God resists the proud. I don't know about you, but I do not want to be resisted by God. I don't want to be resisted by God. But he says he gives grace to the humble. Not only does God promise to lift us up if we have an attitude of humility, but it unlocks the grace of God around our lives. It unlocks the supernatural enabling power of God to come into our lives. What is the grace of God? It is the divine enabling power of God. But I don't know about you, but I want that flowing through my life. How many of you want that flowing through your life? Yeah, come on. I hope I'm preaching better than you guys are responding tonight. (laughs) Come on. You see, grace releases Something exceptional in your life. 
What's the next quality of an exceptional life? It's responsibility. Now you can read all the way through the account of Josiah, all the way through in uh, 2 Kings. You can find it again in 2 Chronicles. All the way through, you do not see Josiah making excuses. Josiah took responsibility for his own life. He cut his own track. He chose a radically different path to his family. He set a course to follow after God and not turn back. How many of you have that attitude? Yeah? There was no blaming in him. There was no excuse making in him. He said, you know, at the time that Josiah entered world history, God's people were backslidden. Instead of living to their true potential, they were living like cheap imitations of the world around them. And he said, gets even more personal for Josiah than that. You know, Josiah was born into a family of spiritual and moral criminals. Spiritual and moral criminals. His great-granddad was a guy called Manasseh. Manasseh was a guy who practiced witchcraft and threw his sons as ritual sacrifices into fire. You're glad that you weren't in his family? Yeah, you thought your granddad was bad. Uh, you, you thought your mummy and daddy were tough on you. I tell you, we don't know nothing about it. Uh, and you see, his father wasn't much better. He survived the fires, but he wasn't much better than his own father. He was involved in exactly the same things. Josiah was born into that. In fact, Josiah's father was hated so much by his own servants, they killed him himself. But you don't see Josiah making excuses for himself. He could have said, what do you expect? If you had a family like mine, if you had a family like mine, you'd be just like this. He could have said, well, it was just the time that we were born. That's what we did. He could have said, everyone else is doing it. That would have been true. He could have said, I'm too young to make any difference. Not Josiah. Are you in the habit of making excuses. Make a choice today to stop making excuses because the day you stop making excuses is the day you start making progress in your life. Come on, someone say amen. Hallelujah. You see, people who live exceptional lives don't make excuses. Making excuses sets you up to live a cheap, ordinary, boring life. And I don't want that for me, and I'm sure you don't want that for you. The last quality you need to build into your life is courage. Courage. No one ever lived an exceptional life without courage. Courage is not the absence of fear. It is boldness. It is determination to do the right thing, regardless of how you feel. Courage is the ability to stand up when it counts. Courage leads to an exceptional life. Josiah had courage to stand up to ungodly traditions in his family. By the time he turned up on the scene, his grandfather and father had established a tradition in the land of idolatry and witchcraft. But Josiah stood up against it. He said, in effect, I don't care how long that's been in the family. I don't care how long that's been there. There's no way. I don't care. It stops with me. 
Let me ask you tonight, is there some stuff in your family that you need to stand up against? Is there some stuff, some family traditions that are holding you and your family back? Is there some family habits of of, uh, manipulating or lying? Some unhealthy family secrets, ungodly habits that are hindering relationship. God's waiting for you to take a stand. Take a stand. Tell the person next to you, take a stand. It stops with me. I love this right at the end of 2 Chronicles chapter 34, verse 31. It says that Josiah has gathered up all the people, all the people, and he read the words of of God to them. And in verse 31, it says, Then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies, and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of the covenant that were written in the book. The king stood in his place. In another translation, it says, Josiah took his place of authority. There was a special place for the king to stand. Can I have the band, please? There was a special place for the king to stand. His father hadn't stood in that place. His grandfather hadn't stood in that place. But Josiah stood up into that place of authority. He took a stand against the worthless things. And he said, people, we are made for so much more than that. You know, people, the New Testament calls us kings and priests before our God. If you're a Christian tonight, if you know Jesus Christ, you are purposed to live as a king on the earth, to take your place, to take your stand, to live in that place of authority. You've got a choice. See, the people of Israel They also had that purpose. They also had that destiny. But because of their heart condition, they did not live to it. Just because you have the label on your life as Christian doesn't necessarily mean you have what it takes on the inside of you to live an exceptional life. Tonight you've got the choice. To say, God, I want these qualities in my life. I don't want to live like a cheap imitation. And I don't want to live a boring life. See, Josiah had courage to stand and he led the whole nation into revival. What would happen What would happen if God's people all throughout the earth, what would happen if they all stood up into their place of authority and took their stand and said, God, Jesus, I'm living for you. You've got that choice. Every one of you, every one of you has got that choice. What about you? Do you have the courage to to take a stand for Jesus Christ? Do you have that courage? Right now, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. 
Then I pray. I want to speak right into your heart. Let the Spirit of God speak to you tonight. Because first base for all of us, first base is take a stand to receive Jesus Christ. You see, without surrendering your life to Jesus, you cannot possibly hope to live an exceptional life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven into this world and he took a stand. He took a stand on the cross. His blood was spilled out to pay a debt. That debt is for you and for me. By dying on the cross, Jesus, Jesus Christ paid your debt of sin, my debt of sin. And it didn't end there. Three days later, Jesus Christ overcame death. He overcame the grave. He rose and He's alive today. And every one of us, every one of us will stand before Him at the end of our lives. We will stand before Him. See, His desire was for you to live an exceptional life. 